everyone. Welcome to episode 143 of the Fitness Devil podcast. We have Brian St. Pierre on today. He's the director of nutrition at uh, Precision Nutrition. Uh, it's a company that I love. So we're going to talk a little bit about those guys and what they do and why they're one of my favorite uh, you know, evidence-based resources. But speaking of evidence-based, we're going to get into a pretty in-depth conversation about finding great resources, how to filter out bullshit sources from really good ones. And this convergence of evidence with client preference with, you know, the skill of actually coaching and the results you get from coaching and how it's not just, you know, Hey, this has to be supported by a research study or um, you have the opposite side of the, of the spectrum where someone is just entrenched in a rigid ideology and they won't vary from it. So it's a robust conversation. I hope you guys really enjoy it. And another note, I'll mention again at the end of the episode, but Dean's project barbell me search, if you're looking for it, we've actually moved it onto its own platform now. So it's been doing so well that uh, we split the two podcasts up. It stands alone. It's no longer a side project on the main thread. So if you also enjoy that, please go search for Barbell Me Search and subscribe to it. Shut up and sit down. Everyone, it feels like it's been a few weeks since we've recorded a podcast, but uh, we'll have our weekly podcast for you. Today, we have Brian St. Pierre on here. He is the Director of Nutrition from PN, Precision Nutrition. And if you've been listening, you've probably noticed that he would be the fourth semi-recent uh, PN guest that we've had. We've had Krista Scott-Dixon, who's unbelievable. We had Craig Weller, got a ton of praise for it, and Adam Fight, who is just a really, really cool guy, uh, all of whom we hope to return. But Brian is someone that I personally have followed and listened to for many years. Um, I was first exposed to him on other fitness podcasts, and when uh, PN reached out to me a while ago to want to feature uh, some of your people, uh, I couldn't have been more excited, and so it's really great that we've managed to schedule you here, so welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here, and uh, yeah, I got great reports from from all three of those folks at PN, so they, they all had a blast, so I was more than happy to come on. Um, I will give one housekeeping note, like due to... COVID, like my three kids who are normally in school, are home. So much as they know they're not supposed to come up here right now, they could roll in at any time. We'll just roll with it. But uh, yeah, just making that, just throwing that out there to set the stage. Right? We don't use video, but if we did, and Dean, oh, okay. his other podcast, but there's this famous video on the internet where I guess this guy is giving a report and then the kids come in and one's beating the drum and then the, the caretaker rushes in and that, that would be fantastic, but yeah, if we hit, hear kids singing in the background, that's perfectly okay. No, that sounds great. Yeah, you, you might hear some stuff, but it'll, it should be okay. I was going to say, Pete Dupuis kid came in the middle of it and was like, Dad, Dad. <laughs> he he and preemptively, preemptively said, it, it's funny we had all the PN people because you got good reports, so we got good reports. Craig Waller was unassumingly brilliant, and so hopefully you can, I, I would say I like Craig's the best which I just didn't expect what came out of it. He was just like ripping uh -oh. off stress for like an hour straight. of like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, Craig, Craig can, if you ever got an email from Craig, it's like 3000 word, like essay. Well, and not, that, not that I assumed he wasn't smart. Like obviously he was smart, but I, I like the, the depth into which we went when we didn't even mean to, like we were, we we're talking about COVID and then we ended up talking about like army and stress. I was like, oh my God, this is like the craziest thing ever. That's awesome. I the sort of guy that if, you know, the zombie apocalypse were happening, I, mm. I really want him with me because he has a military background. 
you know, this, this guy's a, you know, you can tell he's got a place out of the country and it's pretty chill. And he wasn't overly stressed out about it. He's like, ah, whatever happens, I'm going to be yeah, That's the guy you want to be. Not yes. that you're not prepared. It's just like, he seemed like super prepared. <laughs> right. And he's not stressed because he pretty much knows he can handle it. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing to have you on. And obviously, you know, for all our listeners, you guys are tired of the whole COVID thing. I know everybody's, you know, we're starting to see, uh, we're in Canada. Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are American. Uh, you know, we're starting to see provinces and states starting to open back up again. And, you know, I think with that comes a bit of hope. So we exchanged some emails before we got on here. And one of the big things we're dealing with right now, and we mentioned stress and Craig, but with social media and anyone who's got a little bit too much social media, you're seeing an enormous amount of often ideological argument. And you're seeing fighting between people who are claiming on one side that anything that isn't a very specific thing is, is misinformation and you know, we're seeing social media platforms, you know, talking about censoring information. And on the other side, you get people are talking about their freedoms and then the extreme side, we're getting a wild array of anti-vaxxers. I don't know if anyone notices that. The we're not touching anti-vaxxers. <laughs> hear, me, hear, me out, hear me out. The first couple of weeks, people like, notice how the, all the anti-vaxxers kind of shut up when this virus got loose. Oh, no, they've been loud as hell. They've been nuts. So what we've got is this battleground on social media. And most people and most of the truth is really quite in between. So I wanted to give you the floor on some of the thoughts about evaluating evidence, thinking critically uh, about the stuff that we're being subjected to. Yeah, I mean, I think there's quite a few layers to it, right? But one thing, one of the things we see a lot in the fitness industry is a lot of immediately jumping to solutions or feeling like if it's not done this way then it's not the right way. And some of that is born out of passion, right? A lot of times people get into the field because they made a tremendous change, right? They saw awesome results following paleo or low carb or plant-based or you name it, right? Any type of dietary style. And they're like, Oh my God, I got to shout this from the rooftops, right? Everybody needs to know that this worked and it was, it was freaking awesome. And it's, it's gotta be the best thing for everyone. And so then they get out there and they're super passionate and supportive of it. And oftentimes the unintended consequence is they try and downplay other approaches because this works so well. Those other things can't be as beneficial because I lost 70 pounds doing this or my buddy kicked ass at this. And so it ends up making this like bias where you look at everything through this lens where you're just looking to confirm your preconceived notions. All right, so you look at evidence and it's only if it supports you, do you support it and then retweet it or repost it. And if it doesn't support it, it's so easy to just dismiss it. And you see this in way more than just nutrition. But the problem ends up being when you, as a coach, like as a, as a consumer, sure, you can be that way because, hey, that's your body. You do what you want. But as a coach, when you're actually trying to help other people, if you only have one tool in your toolbox or you only look at things through one lens, man, you're going to be... Like one, it's going to be short-sighted. Two, you're not going to be able to help nearly as many people. And three, whatever that that thing was that was super popular at the moment will fade. If you've been in the field long enough, you see it's just cyclical, right? Like low carb was out, then it was back in. Low fat was out. Now low fat's back in with like the whole food plant-based, eating low fat. So it's it ends up just becoming this every decade or so, things cycle in and out. But if you're married to one approach, like, well, then your thing's going to cycle out for a while. Whereas if you can start to evaluate things more critically, recognize that there actually isn't one right answer for everybody all the time, right? 
yes, two plus two equals four, but one plus three equals four, and four plus zero equals four, right? And five minus one equals four. There's many ways to get to the end result. It doesn't have to be only one particular way. So when you're evaluating evidence, it is so critically important to be intentionally looking for things that disagree with your point of view, to challenge your status quo. And the best way I can illustrate it is by telling a story. So for, I mean, many years for myself when I was a younger coach, right, I was a big believer in like eating lower carb or at least timing your carbs and doing all of these different things, right? And, and I started to question that over time because I saw other people like having success with other methods. Like, well, these two things, like if, if, if other people are being successful, it can't, it's probably unlikely that this is the only way it works, but I was still like marinating in this belief and unwilling to let it go. Until, and I've told this story before, but I think it just really illustrates it. I was um, getting back together with my now wife, right? She was just my girlfriend at the time, and she was cooking like a, an Irish beef stew for me, right? So it had potatoes in it. And I, I come down to visit her, and I drove like, what, three, three hours, and we sit down to eat, and I'm pulling the potatoes out of the stew, right? I'm looking down, she's sitting across from me, and I, it just goes like eerily quiet, where you know something, like you just get like the hairs in the back of your neck stand up, like, oh shit. You done messed up. And I, I just slowly look back up and she's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't just work out. So I, you know, I can't, I can't have carbs. And she's like, Brian, it's, it's, you have like half a potato in your bowl. Like, really? Like that's, that's going to be the thing between you and making progress. And I just slowly put them back in the bowl. I ate them. And then you know what happened? Nothing. Right. I didn't like magically get fat. I didn't feel lethargic or tired and, wasn't like I ate a whole, you know, sheet cake. It was, it was half a potato or a full potato in a, in a beef stew. And I, you know, only in hindsight, I look back at that as kind of like the impetus that got me really starting to investigate that further. And I was like, well, okay. So I started talking to more of my clients and reading more things that didn't already like confirm my pre-existing beliefs. I started reading a lot of stuff from Dr. Stephen Guillenay at the time, and he was talking a lot about food reward and, you know, like getting away from everything being based on hormonal physiology and looking more at the brain and all the things it does to regulate appetite. So it really challenged my status quo. It took me in a whole different field that I wasn't aware of at the time. And then as I started experimenting with clients, like, hey, what if we have would you be interested in trying more balanced meals? And they're like, yeah, then I can have toast, you know, pancakes with my kids on the morning, or I can have a, a sandwich at lunch and not be the weirdo only ever having, you know, like meat and a salad. So they were all on board. And you know what we found? They just kept progressing, right? And for some of them, some of them preferred eating lower carb or timing it. Cool. And that, that, and then we'll roll with that. Others were like, man, this is great. I find this easier to stick to. I don't have to think as much. Or I have carbs here, but not here. And I do this there, but not there. Right, so it really got me to challenge my preconceived notions um, about nutrition and about you know the hormonal stuff going on and all of these ideas I had where it had to be a, a certain way of doing things. And I started to evaluate evidence differently. Like, how does this fit into the bigger picture of everything else we know, as opposed to how does this fit into what I already believe? Right, how does this fit into like this model or that model? And then you start to realize. When you look at any single study, it's just one teeny tiny piece of an enormously large puzzle. So no one study ever proves anything. No one study is ever like so earth shattering that everything has to change. It needs to be replicated. You need to see how it fits into everything else we've already looked at and studied and, and think we know. So I think it's, 
not that you need to be a researcher and know all the ins and outs of research, but all I'm suggesting is don't become swayed by any one compelling idea or study or book. You might find it interesting, might pique your curiosity, but then read something that's the exact opposite and see well, what arguments are they presenting, right? How does this, how do these two, two things coexist? What are actually the common denominators amongst both of these things? All right, that's one of the things I think PN has really, like one of the things we've strived to do is find that common denominator. Okay, if paleo works, if keto works, if whole food plant-based works, right, if eating balanced works, if all of these things work for different people, what do they all have in common? Right? What, are, what are the core elements that seem to work for everybody? And then there are offshoots of that that work individually for different lifestyles, circumstances, preferences, goals, you name it. And so you end up finding like there are certain things that are semi-universal or pretty universal, right? Like eating mostly whole foods, getting plenty of protein. It could be animal or plant-based, but just plenty of protein, right? Generally eating vegetables. There are some simple fundamental principles that apply to everybody virtually at all times. And then you can play with some of the minutia from there and that's okay. But when you start to recognize from an evidence perspective, that there are some fundamental truths and there's lots of other stuff that we're really unsure about, then look at differing arguments and then make up your own mind or you know, things of that nature. So to me, it's really about challenging, intentionally challenging your preconceived notions. Right? And I could, I could argue to do the same thing in politics or religion and anything of that nature, um, but with nutrition in particular, which tends to fall under a very similar umbrella, people get very ideological about it, it can be super helpful to expand your perception and your horizons so that if you are coaching people, like, hey, I understand why this person wants to eat this way. I see how this is working for them, even if it didn't fit my preconceived model. Fuck the model. What matters is the person in front of you. Are they getting the results they're looking for? Right? And then help them do more of that. That's giving the name of the podcast. <laughs> model. Right? And I, but so often coaches stick to like what should be working as opposed to like, okay, this is the person in front of me. What is, what is actually happening? What outcomes do I see and how do I make adjustments based on those actual, actual reality as opposed to my expectations or perceptions? There's a couple of things you said in there that I thought were really worth jumping on. And, um, you know, and you, we have you on here, PN, and, and I believe in PN. Um, I think I told a story in one of the other podcasts where, uh, Jason Crow, who's uh, your, I guess, director of, of relationships, mm -hmm. great guy. So he reaches out to me, sends, sends me this message. You know, he'd found out about our podcast. He'd heard that our podcast was one of the, the top listened to ones amongst your guys' community when they pulled it. And so he introduced himself like he would have never heard of PN and told me all about it. I'm like, yo, dude, I love you guys. I have your level one. And uh, so PN has been one of my major go-tos as a informational resource. So for a lot of the people who are listening to this, most of us aren't going to be the ones who are digesting research and, and reading it. So my philosophy has always been find the authorities in the industry who have proven to be um, evidence-based. And again, evidence-based can get taken too far like its own sort of cult mentality, but people who've demonstrated a willingness to shift with the evidence as it comes out. Uh, you know, and when it comes to training, I, I like people like Dr. Mike Isertel, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, or, uh, it, Dr. Eric Helms, if you call him a doctor. Uh, well, there's not a lot of doctors on our podcast. <laughs> Do their Instagram handles. Like, 
<laughs> Dr. Brad Dieter, right? I feel bad just because Brad's our friend, right? So like, hey, Brad, but don't, I better call him Dr. as well. But and if you accumulate, you don't have to have 100 people, but you accumulate a list of people that you know that you can really trust who are evidence-based, they're going to be amazing filters for that sort of stuff. And I, and I think PN can be one of the best resources out there. So, I mean, I, I openly and wholeheartedly emphasize, hey, guys, like, follow what PN is doing. You guys pump out tons of great articles. Even if someone's not in a position where they can afford at this time to go and get certified as a coach, well, you know, you guys pump out tons of free information, and maybe that'll turn into something. Like that. And then the second thing I was going to say was, you're talking about you know timing. We forget that there was a period of time, eh, 12 to 15 years ago, where we thought that meal timing, carb timing, was the holy grail of yeah. the dude. It's not even that. that was a belief system. Now we now know differently. We know that it, you know uh, you get uh, Renaissance periodization, or again Eric Helms, you know uh, pyramid of you know things and how important they are. The timing goes in there, but it's not the big one. It's not the big rock. We really did believe in it. Partly came out of the bodybuilding world for you know, all this research had really manifested. But this is something we, we could look back and think, oh, how silly that was. These were actually some of the prevailing beliefs. There was a brief window where, uh, I guess it was what, uh, J.D. Kiefer's book, uh, Carb Backloading, became popular. Now, it's always risky when you get an astrophysicist, someone who has no fucking background in nutrition. <laughs> Comes I, out did, I did car backloading. I was See? in the <laughs> 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 well, donuts. So these things have come through our our world. And it's it's probably wise. Fuck, I read Wheat Belly when it came out, and I totally bought into that. I thought this was brilliant. <laughs> well, I think like, coming out of my master thesis on wheat, so we can go down that road if you want. That, that's the fucked up thing, even your master's thesis. So, like, I'm buddies with Ben House, and, like, you, you mentioned meal timing. His whole fucking thing was on meal timing. He's like, I went through, like, five years of, like, researching everything, and then to figure out at the end, like, at the end of everything that I've, like, been learning, that it's it's wrong, or, like, there's, like, <laughs> does it really make a difference? He's like, my whole world was crushed. But that was the most helpful thing, was to find... I guess the, go into the matrix a little bit, but you took the pill eventually. And then he was like, okay, this applies to everything. Like you can't get indoctrinated and stuff, but that's really hard to do when mm. you have a bias at play, especially when it's monetary or for him, his, his PhD, right? Like, so it's interesting because you, you basically said, both of you said the same thing. It's like, I read this, I did my thesis on this. I'm guessing you changed your mind at the end when you, if you actually looked at all the data. Talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was never, I never bought it. I did my, you know, my master's thesis. Uh, I don't even know how many years ago, about a decade ago. So it was before Wheat Belly, like really had come out. It was like not, not long before actually. And so when it came out, I was like, really? Like, this is what you're hanging your hat on. Right? It's, it's one of those things where could it have some minor impact maybe? Yeah, sure. But again, it's, if you're talking about like the big rocks, the little pebbles in the sand, it's, most likely sand for most people. If you have celiac disease, yeah, different story, right? But that's one-ish percent of the population. So it's it's making mountains out of molehills. And so you got, but you got to find something new and compelling and sexy, you know, to make a book. So it's not going to be, hey, you got to eat protein, veggies, and you know, eat some fruits. Like that's not going to make a, that's not going to sell. And that's what gets all the couples. I was going to say we need to know about these things as they emerge because if, if we're not informed. People, the everyday person, isn't like us. We, we often, coaches, we forget all the knowledge coaches we have. Just as bad. Your everyday end consumer will hear something sensational. It goes back to your original point, something that's a very simple 
uh, black and white solution and completely misses the nuance and the complexity of uh, nutrition. And they say, oh, that's the answer. And, and keto has been a great example of that that's been very popular. Intermittent fasting has. And, you know, a little known factor, we've talked about him before on the podcast, but like I've seen and met the snake diet guy in person. This lunatic is from the Edmonton area, right? I'm not a big fan of him. If you met him, you wouldn't believe this thing just because he's so weird. He's a strange little dude. But his whole thing, he took Dr. Jason Fung's, you know, fasting stuff to another exponential degree. And he developed a really very devoted, crazy following uh, based on this extreme stuff. Because, again, people like extreme stuff. It's the same, not comparing snake diet to CrossFit, but, you know, CrossFit has an extreme mentality. The problem is it works. Because in context, eating less calories for fucking a week, you're going to lose weight. Right. I don't know. Novelty wears off. Yeah. Right. So that's what you end up seeing. When you look at longer term, you look at studies longer term, where you work with people long enough, or you look at like a keto study or anything along those lines, like what ends up happening, you know, the first three months people are kicking ass. And then you look at their macro intake over time and it, it come it regresses to the mean, right? The low carb people end up starting eating more balanced. The high, the low fat, high carb people start eating fewer carbs and more or, or conversely. So they end up all regressing towards each other. On average, there are outliers, right? There are people who do great. It's generally hard to stick to, and novelty wears off, man. It's exciting. It gets you into it and interested and, and motivated, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, so long as you have a plan to, to transition to something that's going to be more sustainable for you. Because that not, you can't just keep jumping from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Right? That's just going to end up well, backfiring. That was, the, that was so, like, I had to do a presentation in Costa Rica, and, like, it's, it's funny you, you talk about, like, cycles and decades. So I, I did mine on high energy flux. So for anyone who's listening in like PN, G-flux, mm-hmm. which, like if you don't know any of these terms, it's hard to even find the research on a lot of it because high flux wasn't even a thing back then. But anyway, the long story short is like you do all this research, it works and stuff, but no one actually talks about the bad stuff of it. Like, hey, if I move a lot and I do more and I eat more, I can possibly lose weight long term, blah, 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 whatever, or maintain it. But what happens if you break your leg and you don't, you don't, um, you can't walk anymore? Like that affects the whole thing. But none of these systems or diets or whatever end up talking badly about themselves. And that comes back to evaluating the, the evidence. I would be very wary to trust a system that didn't talk about itself and the negatives. Like there's a negative to keto. There's a negative to going just vegetarian, like even just the food selection wise. And like no one who's pushing stuff talks about that. But it's mm-hmm. kind of nice if you find the person who does, like, trust those people. But that's, right. that's a hard thing to sell. Like you said, hey, this works. It's the best, but it also sucks. <laughs> I mean, interestingly, you say that the most popular thing we've ever written was the cost of getting lean, right? Most popular piece we've ever created. It broke our sight, right? Like the people you, I remember the day it came out, I was trying to show someone I worked with, I'm like, oh, let's see this cool new article and infographic we made. I kept getting error messages. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Oh, come to find out like our servers got overloaded and it crashed. But it does, it talks about things very similarly. Like it talks about the trade-offs to, to accomplish certain goals, right? To get six pack abs. Hey, if that's your goal, great. And there can be many benefits, but there are also trade-offs, right? There can be social trade-offs. There can be physical trade-offs. Cause it's the same thing with different dietary approaches. And I, I love that you're calling that out. And that's one thing uh, I think is hugely valuable and the, more believable if someone's like, Hey, look, going whole food plant-based has been awesome. I love it. It's led to all these benefits, but there are trade-offs, right? When I go out to dinner with my friends, it's more difficult to find meals. Like that's getting easier, right? But there are, there are always trade-offs. And if you're not willing to talk about those trade-offs, then you're, you're, 
selling a, a false version of what's really possible, right? You're, you're, you're giving me only a curate, give me like the Instagram version of, of your diet, right? It's only the curated best, best pictures, best angles, and not the wake up in the morning with a hangover version. Well, and so maybe this is where we go with it. Cause I know we're going to talk about plant-based, I think with, with our thing, but so imagine like you're listening to this and like, they're not, like Andrew said, I trust PN and this stuff, but I see these Instagram tags and stuff. How, how do people go about evaluating that and finding these things? Cause like, it, it's so um, enticing to look at something and believe it to be true. Cause it like, it's from this dude with abs on Instagram. He's more jacked than Brian at PN. He's <laughs> <laughs> got the full front double bicep and you're like, that guy's right. So like, I guess, how do you get a better sh- bullshit detector? Even well, at the time, I mean, coaches do it too. Oh yeah. And it's, I think there are going to be a couple different things. Like one, like what's his track record of actually coaching people or, or her, right? Like, is it, if they're just gotten themselves in great shape, that's still tremendous. And, and I tip my hat to them, but it, what really shows coaching skill and a believable system or, or methodology is have they, have they been able to apply this to lots of different people in lots of different circumstances? And if their only feed is themselves looking super jacked and ripped, well, N equals one doesn't prove anything, right? Like they could be, I hate to say it, but they could be taking right, performance enhancing drugs. They can obviously use lighting and Photoshop. There's a million ways they can manipulate how they appear on the internet. But if they're showing, or if they have lots of, um, maybe not even before and afters, but they have lots of stories or they have people who have vouched for getting coached by this individual and got great results, that makes them more believable. Right? Have they interacted with other people in the field who also vouch for their success? And so that can be a little more difficult if someone's new on the scene. But if someone's new on the scene, not that I'm a cynic, but I, I always express some caution. Um, okay, well, let's see where this goes. Let, like, let's bear it out over time. Because something can be novel and compelling and sound really cool, like carb backloading. Right? Or even when Brett Contreras came into the fitness scene with like, being the glute guy, it was like, it was totally, he blew up. Right. But it's actually born fruit. Like he's continually been able to get great results with people to improve how their ass looks. He's a brilliant guy. Right. So you can't deny that. But in the moment, right. I wouldn't jump in and buy the Kool-Aid immediately because like, Hey, let's actually take a step back and, and see like, will this work? Has this worked for a whole plethora of people with different goals and different circumstances, or is it truly niche? Or is it just this one person who claims they got really fit doing this one thing, right? And so I think it's, it's helpful not to be cynical, but to have a little bit of skepticism until proven otherwise, right? So as you see, whenever you see um, incredible claims, well, you need incredible evidence to back it up. That's kind of how I would always, always kind of posit it. So I think from our perspective, I mean, we have thousands of before and after pictures. We've coached tons and tons of people and we've been around a long time and uh, interacted with many other fitness professionals, right? Through podcasts and at webinars or at seminars. And I think our work has spoken for itself. So let someone's work speak for itself. Like who have they worked with? Who have they helped? And let's see that evidence rather if it's just themselves, no matter how cool or interesting or compelling the idea sounds, it needs to have, needs to have robust evidence or just as compelling actual evidence to back it up. Like Dr. Dre. <laughs> like, like yeah, PN's Dr. Dre. Because <laughs> you can see, like, they, they, I don't know. What? I said, how many, how many dro- uh, doctors can we name drop? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. Like, you're, you're not going to, like, even if his new stuff's not, like, it's like, he's, it's still Dr. Dre. Like, look what he's done. Like, there's all these, I don't know. It's interesting. 
So like that's a really hard thing to evaluate. And that's why like when we're talking about evaluating evidence, I think like one of the biggest um, roadblocks, because I can say this from personal experience and even Andrew, we're probably in the same boat. When you go to like start to dig deeper, it's really hard to evaluate research, not coming from a research background. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of, re like there is a lot of resources and they're easy, but it's very, um, I guess, scary to go into that world because like you said, there's a lot of studies that are biased. And to even find the other end of that, search terms and like it's really hard to find it so it's 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 interesting that you say that but it's, there's also a huge roadblocks so i don't know is there any advice for kind of how to dip your foot because even even general population people might want to do it but then they just read the abstract and they're like and that's almost just as dangerous as actually reading all the research yeah i mean my my we actually helen helen Callias, Callias and i who's a dr helen at pn she's like our super scientist yeah another doctor um <laughs> She and I wrote a great article like on how to read research like 4 p.m., which you can which you can Google. But I'll I'll paraphrase it. Your best bet is to look at like position stands from reputable places. So like the ISSN, the American uh, uh, used to be the American Dietetic Association, which I always want to call it, uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, like other places. Like so, if you're a trainer, like ACSM or NSCA, like look at position stands because it shows you the breadth of the evidence that's been accumulated on a topic. And it might not include the latest and greatest piece of that puzzle, right? But that's still gonna have to be integrated into everything else we've learned and know. But position stance can at least give you like a really strong understanding of this is the best collection of evidence we have at this time on this particular topic. From there, you can look at like research review, like you work your way backwards, like research reviews or meta-analyses, but then you have to get into like, well, how is this conducted? And if you don't know anything about research, it can be really tricky to even evaluate some of those things. So if, if research is completely foreign to you, my advice, your best bet is to look at position stands from, from reputable evidence-based uh, either governing organizations or other bodies like PN, like the IISSN, of that nature. There's another, I guess, approach we, we can take too to add on. I think there's a group of professionals, both in nutrition and in fitness, I'll throw out some examples for you as well. These are not necessarily, quote, the, the doctors uh, or the first tier of evidence-based people, but they're kind of the second tier, that they've shown a great talent for sharing really practical information to everybody. I think Sohee Lee is a wonderful example of that. I think someone like... Uh, ben Bruno as a trainer, a fantastic example. You know, mm -hmm. his, his social media is blown up, but, you know, he's a guy who understands the science, but he doesn't have a high level. In fact, Ben's kind of well known as being one of the guys who doesn't have a high level degree in kinesiology or, or exercise physiology. But if you can figure out who is existing in the world of the evidence-based, <clears throat> who's doing a really good job, has a great reputation, but are reaching a wider audience. Jordan's side is another amazing example. And Jordan does both the nutrition and the training side of this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you have any other obvious examples that you want to throw out, but I think if you can figure out those kinds of people, Tony Gentilcourt, another really good example, then that's- I don't know, dude, I think that's hard. Like, because it, it oh, fuck. That's why it's like cool to have this discussion. Cause like you name those three people, but they're like, so he's gonna like, I don't know. It just like, I, I'm almost cynical that people aren't gonna find good people. Cause like, what's it gonna be? You're gonna be hit in the face with, well, it's calories in and out. And that's why it's kind of nice to like, that you would point them to like those reviews. Cause you can read that without, like even the PN article, you can read that without having to go read the fucking probably 20 studies that are linked to it. But at least you can go in there and then you can evaluate the Instagram people yourself. Cause then it's, it's real easy to see if so he's lying. 
uh, or Jordan. And generally, you'll find that oh, they're actually I don't know. I just, I would I just want to arm people with stuff. So they have better bullshit detectors. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, there are. Uh, I think there's both sides, right? Like I, I know all of those people. I know, I know Ben. I, I remember working with Ben. He almost, I almost hired him at PN like 10 years ago. Um, you know, I, I used to work with Tony Genocore when I had Cressy Sports Performance and before the sports was in there when it was just Cressy yeah. Performance. That's crazy. You did used to be yeah. an you were Jordan was an intern, right? Like, so he was an intern there as well. That and was just... after I'd left, but yeah. So they were all, I, I know all of those people, right? That's how, that's how I got on the FitCast. I knew Kevin Larrabee who was an intern there. Um, you know, so that's where I can see both angles, right? Like there are people who maybe like the deep science isn't their thing, but they're really good at taking that people who speak with, from an academic perspective and translating it into practical, actionable steps. However, you have to trust, right? If you're just looking at their stuff, you have to trust that they're interpreting it and giving an accurate representation. So I, I think there's valuing a little bit of both looking at some of those position stands, but then it's like, okay, what do I do with this information? And that's where, so he and Jordan and Tony like are super helpful because they make it practical and applicable in your everyday life. But if you're only using that, if you're only looking at even people that you, you trust and you're never looking at where they're getting their initial source from, um, things can go a little sideways, right? So I think arming yourself so that you have a better bullshit detector, but then trusting or, or relying on those people for the most part to now, okay, interpret it and say, how do I put this into action in my messy, complex, you know, daily life where I've got 45 minutes, three times a week to work out and I have three kids and I got to take this one to soccer practice and do this thing. Like, how do I translate that into like my everyday life? So that's where I think coaches of that nature can be super helpful, but they're still humans who are prone to bias and may not have a just like a super strong academic background and may not always be translating it correctly. So that's where you can, you can get the best of both worlds if you're checking out position stands or stuff from us and then looking at other people like that who are in the trenches who can give it to you on like a, like a daily action kind of way. Well, and that's been the most help. I don't know, Andrew, will you, but that's been the most helpful for me to do both ends because like you have to start somewhere. And like, that's what I mean. Like I don't want to scare people and saying like, Oh, you got to dive into it. But I think that there is a road map to being a little bit better so you don't have to trust those sources because it would it would suck if you like started out in the fitness space and you had to rely on other people for 10 20 30 years because at what point can you start to add context to it if you don't if you don't kind of understand the principles behind a lot of them so i just don't want people to stop right at simple is kind of what i'm getting at i don't know andrew what you're gonna say I lost what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> we, covered, we covered everything your mind was blown <laughs> something like that uh, I wanted to go to. I know what it was. It was along the lines of we also have to allow for the fact that not everything has to be flawlessly evidence based, empirical proof. That doesn't exist anyway. In, in, in studies. Now, that's not to validate, okay, let's completely go off the deep end uh, on total suicidal bullshit, but every person is going to be different and they're going to gravitate this is why i think the best piece of advice gravitate towards someone who hopefully checks most of our boxes on evidence-based and 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 reputation and education but that resonates with you and you may find that and again, i think so he's a great example of this because so he's always been about uh you know macronutrients and calories and, and that sort of stuff 
And so if someone finds that that approach is perfect for them, then she checks all those boxes for that person. Now, she also scores very, very high on the evidence-based side. Uh, again, my example of PN, you guys, you, you talk about in your, in your curriculum, you know, calories in, calories out, and you know the science, but you guys are really about, you know, habit development. That is your big mantra, right? Mm. So that's also very sound and evidence-based, and that's going to work for, well, shit, you guys have the well, biggest library of results from people, I think, that exists in our industry. So it shows that the people that it works for who've come to you, well, that's the funny thing is maybe the people who've come to you are the right people for that system. And that uh, the people who would do better on keto, keto can on Instagram uh, is, that's a, a pet keto people, people brand themselves. But who's the big keto guy? Is it, is it kind of What's keto can? That's just, keto yeah. can. It's just a random example, but okay. there are people like, who have a bad name. <laughs> Here's a red flag for you. If someone has like, what is it, Carnivore Carl, I think someone made the joke recently, that sort of stuff, right? Great Instagram. He's going to make money. You, you see stuff like that, I think you approach carefully. But I think the people who are going to be sucked in that aren't the people listening to this episode anyway. So we also have to remember that we're, we're talking within a little bit of an echo chamber of people who already subscribe to the way we think too. So. Well, but like this is the, the counterpoint to all this is like you can learn all this shit and whatever Sohi and Brian and PN – but I think what gets in victimized and why I want to bring it up on both ends of it is people get scared to practice because they're like, I can only do it this way because I'm evidence-based or I can only do it this way because I trust this person. But like at what point do you practice your own shit to then kind of come up with your own conclusions? And like if we can get more people there, because I think a lot of the downside to being very specific and having evidence, good or bad, is that it scares people from practicing. And that, that's what it's like. You know what I mean? Well, I think there are two things there. All right, like one is I think – a lot of people practice evidence-based incorrectly, right? Like evidence-based is it's got to be in PubMed or fuck, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's not actually what evidence-based practice is. Like evidence-based practice is take the best evidence available. We take the coach's expertise and we combine it with the, the client's preferences, right? And that's what we use to make our decisions. The combination of those three things. It's not just, well, did this happen on PubMed? No. Well then pff, I get nothing for you. And if that's how you coach, then you're not actually, you're not actually coaching, right? You're just like an academic looking at a piece of paper and hoping that that research average applies to this actual individual in front of you. And that's not what evidence-based coaching should be. Well, I'm glad you said that because I think like Edward, I, I you probably seen it too. It plays out on Facebook like crazy. Like that's why I, I'm sure I've never seen you dive in and Andrew stays out and I don't, but it's just like this idea of what newer coaches or just anyone who's trying to dive into this evidence-based world, the representation of some of that world is that other end that you're saying that isn't actually like, I guess if we define terms, they mean two different things to different people. But like, I would say that that one area is more dangerous than actually like practicing and using the evidence to then use context and layer it on top of that with your own experience. But that gets lost in those shuffles. So I'd rather you say it than Oh, I mean, Helen and I also wrote a whole article on what is, what is evidence-based practice. And like it was built on the evidence-based practice medical model, which is those three things, right? You combine those three, like on a, like a Venn diagram, right? You combine those three circles and the thing in the middle is evidence-based practice. So if oftentimes you're right, and that's actually, we, we wrote this article in response to seeing so many coaches on Facebook being like, well, if it's not on PubMed, it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Like that's like, that's not. And, and research is great, right? The scientific method is the best thing we have. But there are still so many things we don't know. And many of the things we think we know, we're only pretty sure are true, 
right? There are only so many things that we're like really, really confident in. Like they're called scientific laws. Other than that, there are theories and then there are models and there are hypotheses. Like there's varying levels of certainty. So <laughs> I just see so often, it's like, well, I don't believe that could have happened. Look at this one study. And it's like, that's great. Like the I, I'm all for like making sure we're looking at things objectively and not just choosing to believe whatever we want to believe. But if I have a client in front of me who's getting a result that's contrary to a published study, I don't care, right? Is the client moving forward? Are they still like maintaining their health and like achieving all these other boxes? Then that's as a coach, what matters to me, right? The actual research average that was you're talking about is just that. Like oftentimes research, all they really share is the average result of a study. When really, when you look at the paper, people fall on a bell curve, right? Like there's a classic study, like Brett Contreras actually shared it, where people like exercised for six weeks and they for like three, three times a week, right? The average muscle gain, I don't remember the exact number, so I'm just going to make them up. Right? I'm just kind of clarifying that, was like, you know, four pounds of muscle gained over 12 weeks. There were like two super outliers, right? Who gained like, one gained like 12 pounds and one gained like 10 pounds. And there were like six people who lost muscle while exercise, like lifting weights three times a week. The average was like three or four pounds of muscle gain. So if you're a, an evidence-based coach only looking at the research and your client isn't making, like isn't gaining muscle or is gaining more than you would expect, like, oh, Jesus, this person's on steroids, right? You're, you, it, if everything is only ever the average, then you're not actually coaching the human being in front of you. And people are going to have different responses to different stimuli, right? And different attempts. So this actually plays into the second thing you brought up, which was like self-experimentation or guided experimentation. And I think there's a, it's a critically important thing. Uh, we intentionally have people do experiments in our coaching, but only after they've built some solid foundationals, some, some like principles and fundamental skills. Because self-experimentation can only really be successful if you've got like a solid baseline to start from. Otherwise, you're just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks, right? So once you're like eating plenty of protein and getting in your veggies and you started to make some progress and you've, you've got those principles down that I've talked about, well, now you can experiment. Like, right, let's try fasting for a day. Just see what happens. Right? You, you realize that hunger is an emergency. Right? People often expect hunger is just going to increase linearly or exponentially right? until their head explodes and they're just insanely hungry. But what they end up finding is hunger comes in waves, right? Like it ebbs and flows. And so it's like, wow, you know what? I realized that if I just don't eat, it was okay. I, I survived. Not that you should you know, like fast forever. But like we do these little experiments. Once people have built some really solid fundamentals, to now test some of these things. Hey, try a low carb day, try a high carb day and just see how you feel, right? It's just, we just start off as like, as like a one day trial kind of thing. And sometimes we do the same thing when a client comes to us and read some crazy shit on Instagram, right? Oh, I just read about, you know, the carnivore diet and they're like super into it or they just watched Game Changers or it doesn't matter what the thing is. They, they wanna do something really extreme. Our response isn't, no, that's stupid. Right. Our response is, oh, I'm really glad you asked about that. Right. Like, what, what did you find so interesting about that? What, what really, you know, what did you find compelling? Because if you start telling them immediately, if you want to be right and tell them all this, how stupid that is, you're, you're just going to put up walls. Right. People are going to be like, oh, this guy's an asshole. I'm not going to go do it anyway and just not tell him. So instead, right. So instead you, you validate their feelings and then you become curious about what they found interesting about it. And then you talk about it, if it's something that you're like really concerned about, right? If they're a diabetic and they want to do something like, you know, extended fasting, you might be like, hey, let's, you know, I'm, that, I'm glad you're interested in this. However, I'd be concerned because of X, Y, and Z. 
but you don't just start out with no, right? And so we do the same thing. We talk about experiments. If people come to us with wanting to try different things, hey, let's do it as an experiment, right? I do have some concerns on blah, 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 like, but hey, let's try this for a couple of days and just use it as an experiment and see what happens, right? We'll track your energy. We'll track your sleep. We'll track your body composition. How'd you sleep? How'd you perform? Maybe you just ask some simple follow-up questions and they're like, oh, this sucked. Man, I can't, there's no way I could do this for three days. Or conversely, they're like, man, I loved eating this way, right? Like, cool, let's just change the plan. Let's try this for a little while longer and see if that continues. So I think self-experimentation is hugely valuable. It's the only way. It's, and it's also a key part of evidence-based practice because it's the client preferences yeah, portion, yeah. right? So if you're not including that, if people can't become autonomous, right, if they're not building self-autonomy and self-efficacy, then you're failing as a coach, right? If they're reliant on you forever, you're not coaching, you're a crutch. Now, they may choose to for like social reasons, right? Like, they might come and train with you for years, probably probably don't necessarily need your programming a whole lot anymore, but you're giving them a great social outlet. They enjoy the time together. Hey, they don't have to worry about writing their own programs, right? Nutrition should be somewhat the same thing. Like I shouldn't like need to coach most people long-term, right? Really high levels. Yes. No, like quote unquote normal people. But if they want it for accountability purposes, that's cool. But if I'm not building some self-autonomy and self-efficacy as a coach into my clients or helping them build those skills, then I'm, I'm not doing my job to the fullest extent. Well, I like the one thing you said. So like, if this is actually like super timely. Like we have a, in Stronger You, so I work at Stronger You for nutrition, but mm -hmm. we had this, Mike Toll asked this question today and it was like, what the hell was it? He's like, what do you say if a client asks you, um, I read in the research that counting calories has been debunked. Anyways, long story short, as I said the same shit you did, it's just like, you don't want to create an enemy. Like you should be happy that they're curious. You can build autonomy. You can do all these things. And even you can say your piece, but if you don't, like, if they don't have the ability to have that choice, like, again, you're not building those tools and you can let them trip on the truth. Like, that's what I call it. Like, essentially you can yeah. do this and then they're only going to actually internalize it if they figure it out. You can tell them calories matter all you want, but unless they kind of figure it out. And that's what you said with testing stuff, like, they might realize like, yeah, carnivore sucks. You didn't have to tell them that you didn't create an enemy and they still ended up going to the place you wanted them generally anyways. Right. And if you shoot those things down out of the gate, well, then they're not going to keep coming to you with new ideas, right? Now your, your coaching relationship is going to suffer. Their outcomes will suffer. Your business will suffer. It's a lose, lose all around when you're always trying to like be right or be yeah. so evidence-based that you're trying to like be right instead of being helpful. And that's the internet too. Like when we talk about all this stuff, like you can talk about evidence-based and like all these arguments is like, I think the largest problem largest, the, the, the biggest thing that's kind of conflicting there is like the need to be right. And that's not what science is about. The science was about like the research was about finding stuff that doesn't work or like knocking down pins to kind of find the best answer, not who's the most right. Like, or I guess who's you're right and have a stance. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't exist that way with people anyway. It's about having your clients trust you, which is, Brian, you said it 10 different ways without using that exact word. And it's funny. And, and I actually suspect as you were saying all that stuff, I'm like, hmm, I, I've said these things for a few years for sure. I share your philosophy. And I'm like, I wonder where I probably first heard that philosophy. I'm thinking to myself, maybe we were the one who probably said it first on their podcast because it just sounds so like, that's perfect. So I have a sneaky suspicion. It may very well have been you the first time saying I'm going up that makes a ton of sense because every coach who's listening I would suspect you've had a client who came to you uh, who has a friend who talked to them about keto now if they're asking questions about keto guess what 
they're probably already doing it. <laughs> or they care. So, and with keto in particular, you have to be very careful because the people around treat keto like it's a religion. They become like missionaries about getting the other people around them to buy into their their approach to validate their own choice of it. So if you then launch in and counter what's going on with someone who's bought into keto, you're putting yourself in conflict with the people in their world, uh, in addition to all the, the trust breaking that we're talking about. So you have to navigate that one particularly carefully and understand how powerful it is. And I've always believed, and I've had this experience with clients who want to try keto, and my answer is, okay, I'm going to try it uh, with you. Let's try it. And I want to be there the whole way. And then I'll softly say, you know, if, if it turns out this one isn't a great fit for you, then I want to help you with finding a direction that does work for you. And go, go follow particular, turn around and after a couple of weeks when she realized, wait a second, you know, this, this doesn't work when she realized the calories matter. She's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> so that's a conclusion she came to word for word. Uh, one thing we, we talked about, uh, in the emails before this, and you had mentioned earlier about nutrition and regressing back to the mean where people, they start in the extremes. There's one diet I think probably bucks that trend a little bit, uh, and that's veganism or vegetarianism. And it's probably because it's very unique in how it's often ideologically based in a different direction. There's a moral aspect to it. So I suspect that, yeah, you get the people who jump in and, and do it because they watch some bullshit documentary on Netflix, but I think the underlying people who really believe in animal rights and they do it for moral reasons, they're probably much more adherent. So I wanted to give you a floor. I need to talk about this because my, my brother, my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's sister, my sister, I don't know. Husband, <laughs> Some relative. The husband of my wife's sister, um, he's like, oh, you watch Game Changers and he like, he like always forgets that he talks about it and every time i'm just like yeah like i i don't want to say anything i'm like i'm not getting this conversation you know what i do for work why are you asking me about this so i want you to say whatever you're going to say and then i'll just refer this to him yeah yeah we actually just wrote um like a whole we're calling like a definitive guide to plant-based eating All right and we talk a lot about um it falls on a spectrum or a continuum right like there are people who are just plant curious right, who are, are starting to, or trying to include more plants, but they're not like excluding meat yet, right, then we're getting more interested in the idea, maybe they're eating some tofu, but they're not like not eating any meat, and then there are like vegetarians, then you can get all the way to people who are fully plant-based, maybe not call themselves vegans, right, because vegan has a whole other set of like lifestyle obligations of, you know, no animal products whatsoever, but what's really interesting, and it actually speaks to what you were just saying, Andrew, was like there are different reasons why, like there's, we did a poll and there's also research that supports this. Like it depends why people choose to start eating that way as to how consistent or how long they will follow that eating style. If someone decides to become plant-based because they think it's going to help their performance or they're going to start just feeling better or for like weight loss purposes, way less that they're, they're going to opt out just as like, as likely as any other dietary approach. But if they choose to do it for, like ethical or moral reasons, animal welfare, environmental, they are way more likely to stick with it because it's actually, it's less of a decision about them and it's more of a decision about like interacting with the world and in, within like their own identities and values. So it's really, really interesting. The reason why you choose to eat that way will dictate to a degree, like how consistently and how long you eat that way. So with plant-based eating in particular, like not everyone is in it, especially as it's become more popular. Five years ago, the vast majority 
or maybe even 10 years ago, the vast, vast majority were for moral or ethical reasons. As it's become more mainstream, people are getting into it for other reasons, right? For, for They see game changers and think it's going to help their performance. So they've seen people like, you know, improve their health or they think it'll be better for body composition. You name it. People are getting into it and it's becoming more more akin to like traditional dietary approaches where people hop in and hop out and try it or try parts of it um, without going like the whole nine yards. So if, it, if they're getting in there for like for those animal welfare or environmental sustainability kind of purposes, like really moral or ethical, like almost obligations that they feel, then they're way more likely to stick to it and to follow it and to actually follow it much more consistently. Right. And when they look at the research on people who identify as vegetarians or vegans, and then how many of them actually follow it really strictly, it's actually a huge drop. You know, it's like 9% of, like they look at different countries, like, you know, claim to be vegetarians, only 2% follow it really, really strictly. Because, you know, people are generally more flexible. Like, oh, I went to a birthday party and I had a steak, right? Like, I went, to, I went somewhere and I had some fish, or they tend to be a little more flexible. Um, unless it's for purely like moral or ethical obligations. And I think for a lot of people that ends up allowing you to do it more sustainably if you have some of that flexibility, right? Because sometimes you can't always control the food that's available to you. And there's a great story, like Ryan Andrews, who worked at PN for like a decade and actually helped us on this book because he's been a fully plant-based eater for 10, 12, 15 years, he tells this great story of how he went to Africa to like do some, because Ryan's very much got into it for moral and ethical reasons. He went to Africa for like a volunteering effort and he was doing some work out there. And this woman offered him like two eggs. I think they're, they were cooked in some way, which was like a huge offering, right? A hugely valuable food source. And he felt really conflicted, but chose not to accept the gift and not to eat them. And she was like offended. He's like, and years later, he's like, man, I still don't know what I should have done. And, and this was like maybe five years ago. I'm like, you know, what would have been the harm in eating them? He's like, they were already there, right? You didn't harm the chicken. They were already cooked. He's like, you know, I, he came around to like years after we had this conversation because he like just thought about it and didn't really answer the question. It's like, I should have just eaten the eggs. Like in hindsight, he's like, but I was so into the identity of being vegan that I couldn't accept this woman's like insanely generous gift of two eggs because it, it went against like my personal identity as opposed to being like a gracious guest, right? And saying like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. It was an enormous offer. So, but it's also a really tricky thing, right? When it does clash with your identity, it's a really, really difficult thing. But he tells this story to talk about how, again, it goes back to the trade-off thing we talked about, right? Like, could you imagine? They're, like, they're difficult. Could you imagine feeling that bad about it for years? Oh, yeah. Do <laughs> a random text? <laughs> like we, were, we were at a dinner in Toronto, uh, you know, for PN. But it was, it was a great story. And it was just like he just felt so conflicted with his identities and values of yeah. being a vegan. And also just being like a gracious person. And he was out there volunteering and just felt like he couldn't, he couldn't accept the gift because they were eggs. And it was just a really interesting conundrum. Like, and you start to understand, like when you talked about there are pros and cons to every approach, like that was a big trade-off and it stuck with them for years, right? Well, that, we see that in the, like we call it the, the flexible dieting space, but like if you're that weird person, if you have that situation, like there'll be people like, well, I'm counting and I had my protein, I hit my macros, have that conversation is like internally conflicting, which is, that is inherently a negative to any system. Mm -hmm. and, it, and 
I, I don't know. I don't know what this, the solution is. Like a lot of times, depending on where they're at in the, the motivation cycle, they might have to just be weird, but at the same time, they have to get over that at some point. Cause I just don't think it's sustainable. Like <laughs> and maybe it is, there's some people, but like generally I don't know if being weird your whole life is helpful. There is also an important different lens to look at the same conversation through. You take anyone who is trying to adhere to any diet nutritional approach and the far more frequent situations are put in where they're tempted with offered in social situations or they're stressed out, uh, high calorie things that go against the diet. So on, on this very, very small example, you know, we have someone who's worried about offending someone for breaking veganism, but far more often the same example is probably the ease with which people break the rules when they're tired at the end of the day or they're out in a social situation. They find excuses to quote, cheat on their diets and setting aside the language of dieting and cheating and, and the, those things are obviously charged uh -huh. anyway. So I'm always sort of hesitant about people creating mental frameworks, mental gymnastics to justify uh, breaking away from their nutrition. I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges that most nutrition coaches actually deal with is getting to lessen the language I use is lessen the severity and the frequency of these types of uh, breaks. Well, I think a big part of it is getting people to create better mental models, right? And get away from always having to rely on all these external rules and guidelines, right? Where it's like, oh, and that's one of the things like, you know, I think people have thought of PN as like anti counting macros, and that's not actually true. We just believe in it for certain people for certain goals. Um, you know, and, and it can be super helpful for some individuals, but it's unlikely to be an appropriate approach long term for most people because to your point, oh, I've already reached my macros. And now I'm at a party and someone's offering me cake. Like, well, what do I do? You fucking eat the cake, man. Or, or not. Like you just, it's okay to do either decision. It's okay to have a slice of cake and then not hit your numbers for the day. Like unless you're getting paid, for a certain physical performance or physical outcome, um, it's okay, right? And that's where I think the cost of getting lean like really struck home for a lot of people is it helped you see like, okay, this is the body I wanna have. These are the trade-offs I need to make, right? For a bodybuilder to step on stage, they have to make enormous trade-offs. For an everyday person to like be, to look better and feel better, you still have to make some trade-offs, right? You're not gonna like eat cake for lunch, but you don't have to make as many trade-offs as someone stepping on the stage in their underwear. So I think it's important to recognize that it's okay to be flexible and you want to build, this goes back to like building autonomy and self-efficacy. And like, I think the term intuitive eating has taken on a different life of its own, but you want people to learn to eat somewhat intuitively, like, and be willing to make that decision in the moment. Like, am I willing to be okay with the trade-off? Yes, I'm eating this cake or, you know, am I going to eat this cake? It's more calories than I wanted to eat for the day. Like, but I'm having... It's also giving me a great social outlet. I'm having fun with friends. Like there are other determinants of health other than purely physical, right? Mental and emotional and social relational and existential. Or you can go on and on. Like this is giving me a big up in the social department and a really, really small decrease in the physical department for one day, right? For one meal. Like that's, that can be a very okay trade-off. Well, and this is, so we had um, Gabby Fundero and Shannon Deep anyways, they're into this new comprehensive model, but part of it was defining terms with intuitive eating and, and health at any size. But it was like, there's the terminology that people think is intuitive eating, which ends up being the movement. Like it's the movement of intuitive eating and that's where you get camps. And then there's that, the actual tool 
of intuitive eating and, and both get confused. And I think that that goes with veganism or whatever. Like if you can get to that point where you can see it as a tool and not this ideological movement, then you can start to like make a choice. And then, then they're autonomous because it's like, well, I, I'm going to do this, but then I'm going to do this after because of this. But if you run into the problem of the, the movement, it's like, well, I'm not going to accept the eggs and it's, <laughs> I'm not going to accept the eggs. And I'm going to be that, that, that dude who tells the tribe girl that like, fuck your eggs. And she's like worked all day for them. And now you're, you're a bad guy. So I, I, it's just interesting because like a lot of it's terminology too mm. and definitions behind these things that get lost. And that's why PN's awesome. Cause you guys have basically a plethora of articles on this stuff and a whole course on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we try to get people to transition to and, and like forget about some of the terminology, right? Like external guidelines can be great, but they're like training wheels. Eventually, you need to learn how to balance the bike without the training wheels, right? And so that's what I think of as like eating intuitively. It may not be like intuitive eating trademarked, yeah. right? But it's eating intuitively. Like I've internalized some of these things, but even beyond internalizing like some of the external guidelines, like I'm making choices in the moment that fit my short-term and long-term goals and needs. And that can be, and those needs are not, not just physical, right? So if you have a, a great body and a small life, like that's not the probably ideal outcome to, to succeed long-term. So e even with a great body, like even if your focus is purely physical, if you're only focusing on the physical, it's going to end up backfiring on you physically. So I think one of the things we try to teach people is to look at, we call deep health, right? Where you're, you're weighing things through different lenses or with different scales. Like, and I was, that's why I was talking about like, yeah, this is maybe not ideal for me physically, right? But it's okay. I'm having a great time with friends. I'm doing it reasonably and slowly. Like if you're just constantly like insanely indulging and like binging, like that's a different, that's a different conversation. But if you're doing it, safely and sanely like hey i'm gonna eat this piece of cake i'm gonna enjoy it cool and then i just move on right i'm not having guilt over the cake i'm not having four more pieces of cake that's not what we're talking about right it's doing it in a a reasonable enjoyable manner like it's it's just one piece of cake dude it's not going to make or break anything or anybody but it could start an argument at the <laughs> but, but it could it could do that and then you'll feel bad for three years until you're like, you text your buddy who made the cake. Like, I'm so sorry. I should have ate the cake. Just like make me a piece. I'll eat it today. It's, um, been, it's been really incredible having you on. I, I, this has been probably the best nutrition episode I think we've ever done. We don't tend to go too heavy on, on nutrition in individual episodes, but it's often a, a theme in here. But there's a few more things I figure we could throw out there. And it's funny. It, um, it got me thinking about we've talked a lot about PN and, you know, people are probably thinking, Oh, you know, we're just pushing PN, but you know, we we talk about things that we believe in, right? Uh, Dean has PN. I have PN. I'm doing it again because you guys gave me another go around to <laughs> try the, the revamp. So stupid. You need to do it again. It. But you know, to give you an idea of how influential, you know, reading PN articles early on in my career was, is, and, and I know I said this once before, there was an article where you guys talked about six books that were your, if you remember, cause I'm trying, I was mm -hmm. trying to remember the exact six and I have one of them in my hand. It was the first book that I really got into years and years ago that started me on this path. And anyone who's listened to us for a long time knows that I'm obsessed with reading. I probably go through about 80 books a year, a lot of them audio. So I have in my hand switch by Chip and Dan Heath. And that was one mm -hmm. of the big six. So, and I'm trying to remember the other ones. Uh, I feel like, me, I'm trying to guess. I feel like Man's Search for Meaning is kind of one of them. Uh, but if, if you could recall, what I know that motivational interviews, what were those six books? Well, obviously, Game, are, of, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, 
like the solidifier. <laughs> oh, I've read all those. Yeah. Um, all six Harry Potter books. Yeah, boy, let's see if I remember. There was like definitely. What, was it How to Win Friends and Influence People? Was that on the list? That was awesome. um Boy, I'm trying to remember them all now. Switch was definitely one. We've had a couple articles about it. That's why I'm trying to remember. Like, boy. I've got it. Okay, so. Seven I'll, Principles of High, like the uh, failed, Stephen Covey failed. book? <laughs> I, I've got it, actually. I pulled it up. So. <laughs> there you go. It's funny. Maybe it doesn't seem to have a uh, switch on that list. So maybe it's two lists. One says a power <laughs> <laughs> <Both are wrong. laughs> Okay, so the power blast by Leo Babat, yep. which <laughs> motivational interviewing, crucial conversations, amazing book, uh, the blackmail diet. So this must be a different article. Oh, it's Switch. No, Switch is number three. I'm looking right at it. Switch, so, Switch by Chip I, and Dan Heath. Influenced by Robert Cialdini was definitely one of them. Yep. I think it was, uh, two different articles somewhere. Oh, it's very um, possible. Yeah. Let me see. We have, an insane number of articles. So yeah, I'm looking at like, and this is obviously, this is an old list. I mean, this list is probably, this predates my time at PN and I've been at PN for eight years. So yeah, but this, this is, I mean like motivational interviewing, I would actually change that to reading motivational interviewing and nutrition and fitness. It's a way more accessible version versus like the MI textbook. I mean, you're reading a textbook on like a counseling technique. It is not necessarily an easy read for most people. But a, a much more applicable book would be Motivational Interviewing and Nutrition and Fitness. I mean, anything by the Heath Brothers I, I find to be, you know, hugely helpful. Crucial Conversations is always a good read to me. They do great workshops. Um, so even if you're not a big reader, they have some really great workshops you can attend where you can actually, like, do the Crucial Conversations and practice them. So that's hugely helpful. Yeah, I've never even read The Blackmail Diet. I don't even know if you can find it anywhere. I think that's the one that was always noted on the list is like it, it's impossible to find. It's out of print. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's lots of great and there's so many great books. Um, but yeah, sorry, where were you going with that? I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, he basically wants to recommend Switch. He, he likes to he, he's recommended every <laughs> book in the history no. that you probably ever read. So he just, really fundamentally easy to digest book about uh, you know helping people with behavior change, and that's mm -hmm. at the essence of all this stuff. You can know the the science and nutrition all you want. But it goes back to, you know, that I truly believe in PN as an organization, as a product, as people. It's why you guys are on here. You know, the people we put on this podcast, we're endorsing them. So it's our stamp of approval. If we go and collect a bunch of idiots that turn out to be, you know, charlatans, well, whoops, we've, we've screwed up a bit. So I uh, know we're really grateful to have you guys on. You know, I can't say it enough that you're welcome back anytime. You've been an amazing guest. I want people to know where to find your work. I suspect a lot of your work is basically through PN. So, is there other yeah, like as as uh, <laughs> well as Dean noted, like he said, he's never really seen me dive in on Facebook. That's uh, that's intentional. Um, I'm I'm intentionally like not marinating in social media, right? I have three young kids. My wife has her own business. I work full time. I, I choose to to not spend my spare time in social media. Um, which is just, you know, that's a, a conscious choice after, I mean, I was, I was in college when Facebook came out, when it was the Facebook and it was just for college students, right? So I spent like two years, you just on Facebook, all, the Facebook all the time. And I was like, man, this is, 
this is a life suck, right? It was just, I was constantly on the computer. Like I could just be out actually talking to people. Um, so ever since then, I've been very hesitant to like dive down the rabbit hole of social media. So yeah, you won't really see me much on there. I don't blog much. I have my own website, but I hasn't, I don't think I've blogged on it in like four years. So if you want to see my work, um, I mean, PN, precisionnutrition.com, I co-author a lot of, or author a lot of our articles. Um, historically, I've done a lot of like workshops and presentations, obviously in light of everything right now. That's kind of on hiatus. Uh, we'll see, you know, what that looks like moving forward. I write a lot of articles. I contribute to all of our certification materials. So obviously we have the level one certification, like you're talking about. We have the level two certification. We've written a whole bunch of um, new definitive guides for people who are already like level one students. We have a definitive guide to macros, intermittent fasting, plant-based eating. We're actually working on, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it anyway. We're working on an athlete one, athlete nutrition one right now. Um, it's actually gonna be a really big one, like a series of multiple definitive guides. So we're really starting to crank that up and I'm, I'm involved in all of that. Um, if you use ProCoach, like our, our coaching software and, and curriculum, I'm helping to revamp and update our entire like series of practices and habits and things people are working on. So I, if you look at anything at PN, I probably have my hand in it um, other than like maybe like social media posts or ads, right? But if it's on the blog, I've probably seen it. Um, if it's in a certification or a book, I've probably helped write it, right? If it's in our, on our pro coach tool, I've been involved there as well. So yeah, I mean, it, it, that would be, you want to see any of my work, just check out whatever PN's doing and my name is in there somewhere. You're going to think this is an ad for PN, but we've just landed <laughs> a lot of these things because you guys have been around for so long. So we could have literally talked about anything and you'd be like, well, there's an article on that. And so like, that's what you're supposed to, that's, for anyone listening, like that's what you're supposed to do when you bring someone on. From, so anyways, it's funny because you're, you literally don't have Instagram and you're like, no, please go to PN because I don't have Instagram. You're being serious. <laughs> right. I, I am being, I, I technically like have an account, but I actually created an account because I was doing an Instagram live with Ben Bruno and I've screwed it up royally. Like I didn't, I never been on Instagram on my phone. So I was trying to do it from my desktop and it wasn't working. Then I had to like get on the, get the app. And we were like 20 minutes late because of me. Like, so I had to get Instagram for that purpose. Did you get followers? Uh, other than that, I, How many followers? I have no idea. No, you don't know. Pro probably 12. I, I don't think I've ever posted anything. Ben Bruno has a big following. You might've. Oh Yeah. I was trying to, the reason why I bring it up is because I was trying to find you on Instagram. I'm like, what? I was like, what the hell? I, I just never thought to check it. And I was like, he's literally yeah, not on there. Anyone nope. listening to this and, you know, we tag some stuff, uh, you won't have any shares on uh, on Instagram. But we'll, we'll share this all over our social media. And I'm going to send Jason these uh, links to this. We're going to actually have this up today. So, uh, yeah, the listeners probably be getting this a couple hours after we've actually recorded it. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. This was really cool. Yeah, no, I had a great time. I'll come back anytime. This was fun. You're the oh, first person in the last eight weeks to not bring up Black Swan and get Andrew on a rant. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving it with that. Right. So no, we're not going there. I, there's another thing to our listeners. Too. I mean, obviously, it's a big thank you for continuing to listen. I know that not everybody's doing as much driving around. That's probably going to start to ease up a little bit. But, uh, you know, thanks for staying tuned in. And so we actually did something too. Dean for quite a while has had a side project on here called Barbell Me Search that 
we had on the main download stream. So we've decided that that's taken on such a life of its own that Dean has taken it onto its separate uh, its separate stream. So now if you have been a subscriber and you've been listening to both, go subscribe to that. It's now going to be separate where Dean has brought our friend Jeb Johnston on as his co-host. And uh, so the guys are going to explore the stuff that they're more specifically interested in. And this feed will just be the Fitness Devil podcast uh, and the same group of great and new guests that we've been uh, we've been doing for the last two and a half years. So thanks for being a regular listener. See you guys. Shut up and sit down.